I just want to say one more quick thing about wind shape, about just how excited I am for it. Because I remember being here um, a few years back when we were looking at, at bringing wind shape in, where they called and uh, they said, hey, we'd really like to, to bring this to your community. We need a partnership. And, and I just remember us as a church kind of going, and we, don't, we don't know if we can do this. We don't know how to do this. But one thing kept resonating with the group of people that we were talking about in bringing Windshape in is like, it was, this would be great because it's something that we can do for the community and not just for the church. And it gives us an opportunity to demonstrate to our community that we love them. And, and we continue to talk about the fact that our goal with bringing Windshape into our community was to do something for, for kids who would never get to have an experience like that and to be able to have some opportunity to share the gospel with them in a context that would be meaningful for them. And so I'm thrilled, again, that this is now the sixth year in a row that the single largest group of kids who were attending church were unchurched, group, unchurched kids in our community. And coming from the pastor, I'm just telling you, I love that it hasn't become a church thing because we got enough church things. We need to go out in the community and share the gospel and, and be there for our community in doing that. So I'm very excited about that. And I can't say thank you enough uh, for helping us make that happen because it, it really is a perfect picture for me of exactly what we've been talking about in this sermon series we've been calling Be the Church. And we've been looking at what the difference is between just going to church and actually being the church because I fear that if we're not careful, we will have adopted this mentality that, well, just attending church is, is what it means to be a Christian. And if I go to enough things, then, then that's what this is all about. But that's not it at all. To be the church, we've been looking at the book of Philippians and Paul's partnership with the people in Philippi as a guide for us. And so I invite you, if you want to turn to the book of Philippians, some of the things we've already looked at is that if we're going to be the church and not just go to church, we're going to learn to pray for our partners. And who are our partners? Our partners are sitting all around you today. It's people who God has brought to this place to say, I want to partner with this church and I want to join this church in the ministry that we're doing. And there's other great churches in our community and around the world. And there's partnerships that we have with missions all over the world and, and, and all these great things. But for us, it, it all begins with a, a strong partnership right here and learning to pray for the people that are sitting beside us and, and doing life with us and, and learning to introduce ourselves to them and, and get to know uh, them in our life. I, I, I laugh sometimes because I hear people all the time who go, okay, Lendl, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and so last week I went around and I was going to try to meet someone new in the church. And I went up and I introduced myself and they told me they've been going to church here for 35 years. <laughs> and I went, okay, that's okay. Because what that means is you've been sitting there by one another, partners in Christ, not even knowing it for that long. But now you have an opportunity to pray for one another and get to know one another and get to build life together. And not just go to church, but to learn to be the church. We talked about not only praying for our partners, but that really what we're about as a church is advancing the gospel. And we, we saw Paul's example of going, hey, I really don't care what all's going on with my, with my enemies and, and with everything that's going on, the fact that I'm in jail and the fact that I've been persecuted. As long as the gospel is being advanced, that's what matters. And so we want to be about advancing the gospel. And to make it as simple as possible... We talked about the easiest way to begin to advance the gospel is just learn to talk about it. 
Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your friends. Tell them what God has done in your life, what God is doing around them, what you're reading in God's word, how you're learning, what questions you have. Just talk about it. Just begin to advance the gospel in your own heart and in your own life by making it part of your daily conversation, advancing the gospel in that way. And then you'll be amazed at how God will use you to begin to advance the gospel further than that as well. God has brought together an incredible group of people right here under this roof and watching us online and these type of things. And he wants to advance the gospel. He wants people to know the great love that Jesus Christ has for them and the relationship that God desires with them and the life that they can have when they follow him. And we get to share that and advance the gospel in that way. And then last week we talked about that if we're going to be the church, then we're going to be present And if you'll remember, I told you that wasn't a sermon on church attendance because that would be kind of silly for me to look at people who are attending church and say, you need to go to church. Well, you would go, great, got it, check, I'm here. But what it's talking about is learning to be present in people's lives, building strong and meaningful relationships that matter. One of the questions that I borrowed from another place, and I love the way that they said it was, you know, do you have any 2.30 a.m. friends? Do you have the type of people that you've built the type of relationship that if you have life happening at that time that you can just pick up the phone and call them and you don't have to wonder about whether you're going to offend them or inconvenience them. And I also said that there's a difference between being willing to be a 2.30 a.m. friend and actually being a 2.30 a.m. friend. Because I would make the assumption that in a church full of good people that I know and people who desire to follow Christ and to do uh, what he wants us to do, that there would be most of us would say, man, I'm willing to do that for people. That's great. But are you working on building relationships where you don't have to explain that, you just live that? And people know that about you. And, and you know that about them, that you have those type of relationships. And that leads us to today about what it means to be the church, not just go to church, but to actually be the church, is that we're going to learn to live in unity. We're going to learn to live in unity. And again, unity and uniformity are two different things. It doesn't mean that we're all going to like the same things, that we're all going to do the same things, that we're all going to say the same things. That's not it. As a matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you this. I hate blue cheese. Anyone else with me? I don't know why people would eat mold, okay? I don't, I don't get it. And it seems like it's a big fancy thing. Like you go to, the, you go to a restaurant and they're like, ooh, we've added blue cheese. I'm like, could you scrape the mold off before you bring it to me, please? I don't, I don't understand this. And, and then one of the things for me too is like one of my favorite places and one of my favorite things to eat, they took it off the menu and they replaced it with something to add blue cheese. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. I don't know what to do with that. I don't like this. You literally moved my cheese. Ha, 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 okay? For anyone who get that leadership joke, okay? So it, it bothered me so much, but, but here's the deal. I, it was my, one of my favorite places to eat. So I had a choice. I'm like, well, am I just going to quit going here? You know what I did? I found something different on the menu. You know what happened, and I have to admit it now? I like it better than what I'd had before. <sighs> I got stuck in a rut. And I just like, I would go and I would just, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. And then they changed it and they replaced it. They moved it around. They put it something that I didn't like there. So I found something else. And then I have to admit, God, I really kind of like this. 
And that, that really is kind of what's happening. When God continues to move us forward sometimes, I think that some of you are laughing with me because you've had that exact experience. You have something in life that happens, you go, I don't like that. I'm still bitter that Bluebell has not brought back cheesecake chocolate chip. I'm like, bring back that flavor. I don't know what y'all are thinking. It was the greatest flavor ever, and they got rid of it. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I just think if y'all all write letters for me, <laughs> we could do that. Just kidding. Just make sure y'all are awake this morning. But sometimes things happen and they change and they move and you don't like it at first and, and you wonder what's going on and you wonder why this is happening. And this is really similar to what Paul is experiencing at an extreme level, not just getting blue cheese on his salad, okay? But Paul's been persecuted, Paul's been tortured, Paul's been jailed, Paul's been chained. And this really wasn't what he was signing up for, I bet, when he thought that he was following Christ in this way. But yet he said, I've come to this place where I've discovered that this is fullness of life because I have this relationship with you as a church and we're living in unity. And he really boils it down to this. And we're going to look at verse 27. That's where we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 here. Hang on this with me. He says this, just one thing. Now, you got to know that what he's about to say is going to be important because he says just one thing. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is the essence of being the church and not just going to church. What does it mean for us to live our lives worthy of the gospel of Christ? If you haven't caught it yet, let me just kind of explain a little bit of what I'm talking about when I'm saying be the church instead of going to church. Because I fear that in our American culture of church, and I've been a part of this since I was born, and I've been on staff at churches since I was 14 doing different things. So I've been, honestly, part of this for so long that it took me a while to understand exactly what was going on and why sometimes the things that we want to see happening aren't really happening in people's lives. And you begin to come to this place where you understand, well, it's because a lot of people are going to this, but they're not actually catching what's going on. And the bottom line of what Paul is saying here, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're going to do that, let me tell you where it's all going to boil down to. It's all going to boil down to relationships, period. If you're going to live your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, it's going to be because you have a right relationship with God, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, that you have come to that place in your life that you realize that Jesus Christ is Lord and that because of his great sacrifice that I can have a relationship with God. And when I begin to follow God's word, it will lead to meaningful and fruitful life. When I live in a right relationship with God, that's going to lead me to live my life in a way that's worthy of the gospel. But it goes a step further. Not just my relationship with God, but it's also going to be my relationship with others. Because the greatest command is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to learn to live in unity. We're going to learn to love our neighbor as ourself. That's where we're going to find life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and sometimes where we've missed that in the Americanized Christian bubble is that we have replaced 
relationships with programs. And we have somehow convinced ourselves that if I attend programming, then I am growing as a follower of Christ. And if I don't feel like I'm growing as a follower of Christ and I go to one program, well, maybe if I go to two programs, now I really, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's go back to the good old days where we have five programs a week. One in the morning and one at night, one on Monday night, one on Wednesday night. And if, and if you're a real Christian, you're going to all these. And that's kind of what we put out there. And, and what we unintentionally as a church did was we replaced relationships with programs. And we've convinced ourselves that I don't need anybody else. As long as I put enough programming in my life and in my heart and I read enough on my own, I'm good. But what Paul says is just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's all going to come down to relationships. He goes on to say then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Paul, Paul's saying, look, it's not this picture of everything being rosy and everything being right all the time. It's that Christ has invited you into life and that life is going to lead us to, to struggle together and to work through things together. But it's going to be meaningful in deep relationships with God and deep relationships with others. That's where it's going to lead. And he takes it further when he goes on into chapter 2 and he says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in Humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. It's coming from the man who just wrote the words to live as Christ, to die as gain. He just told them the sentiment that with all that he's been through and the relationship that he has with Christ, he longs for the day so much so that he would be with Christ that he realizes it's far better, but that Christ has revealed to him that this relationship is so important that he is finding purpose and meaning in staying present and being with them. And then he just pins these words to say, that's what then this is about, to come to that place that your relationships are so right that you're getting everything that you need from God and you're pouring yourself out to others. But we live in such a culture that pushes us to ask the question way too much, what's in it for me? Well, what about me? Well, what do I get out of that? And yet God's word is so clear, not just countercultural, but counterintuitive again, to lead us to the place to understand that if you're going to find life, you're gonna have to give it away. That's how you're gonna get this. That's where this all boils down to. So my apologies if we've created a model that allows people to simply attend 
and think that somehow that's everything that there is to the faith. And let's get to work on saying, how do we live in a full love of Christ and a full love of one another, building these relationships? And let me just go ahead and tell you, relationships are messy. Ridiculously messy. They're crazy. They're hard. It's difficult, but that's where you find life and that's where you find it worth it. And unity is going to come, not in all of us thinking the same way, believing the right way, having the same preferences or this. It's going to come in something that's much bigger than that. It's going to come in unity in Christ and only in him. I laugh often. Hal and I talked about this a long time uh, when I first got here. Caleb and I have talked about this before. I believe that their job is the most difficult one in all the church. And here's why. There's literally millions of songs in the world. And when you leave church today and you get in the car, you're going to turn on some music at some point in time based on your preferences. And it's probably not gonna sound like what we just did. And at some point along the way, you're gonna ask yourself the question, why don't they do more songs that I like? Well, I promise you, of the millions of songs that are out there, if you'll give us 100 years or so, we'll get to one of yours. It's tough for them to do it. So we're going to find unity not in preferences of style or, or things that we like and do that. Where are we going to find unity? We're going to find unity in praying for one another. We're going to find unity in advancing the gospel. We're going to find unity in living life together with one another. That's where we find unity. And when we learn to live in unity, one of the first things that we'll realize is that I am a part of something that's bigger than myself. I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. And that this whole life that might point me to say it's all for me and I've got to get the most out of it in reality is a lie. And what I need to embrace is the fact that when I can become a part of something that's much bigger than me, then life is going to have a lot more meaning. That's why Paul writes those words, in one spirit, in one accord, contending together. When we're contending together, that means we're not tearing one another down. When we're contending together, that means we're in this together and, and we find connection and unity because we've already got everything that we need from Christ. And so it really doesn't matter. I don't need anything from anyone else. I just get to be there for them. And some of you go, well, hold, hold on a minute here. If that's the way that is, then you're meaning to tell me that all my life is just spent by just pouring myself out to others. Well, I mean, how do I get anything out of that? Can I just paint a picture for you? In the world's economy and thinking in that way, you're just thinking, I'm just giving everything of mine away and I have nothing. But if you really follow God's economy and you find a place that's willing to be the church and come together and live life together in unity to advance the gospel and be there for one another, then what this means is that if I'm pouring myself out to as many people as I can in that community, then there's hundreds of them pouring back into me. And you get much more out of that than you would ever get in living for yourself or on your own. And so if we truly begin to embrace this and we realize that we're part of something bigger than myself, then that means I get the benefits in my life as well as being part of something that's bigger than me. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth saying, just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. He talks about us as, as being a, a body, 
of Christ. And when one of us is doing the things that we need to be doing, then all of us are doing these things. And when one part of us is hurting, then all of us are hurting. And this is the picture that we have together. And we find so much purpose and meaning in life doing things God's way and not living for self, but learning to live for him and for others. You know, and and when you realize that, you can get past this thought of what's in it for me because you're going to begin then to have an abundance of people in your life that you realize that you are unified with in one spirit contending to advance the gospel and finding life and doing the things that God has designed us to do. It's so great because when you live in unity, you begin to find this out, that I have friends that help me with my fears. Can I just tell you something? I know, I know many, many people that I've had conversations with that have attended church for a long time and they don't know anybody because they come in and they take in and they leave. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying there's something more when you realize that I can actually be there for someone else because that's when I begin to have friends and I begin to have these friends who help me understand that I can get through things in life. Man, sometimes life throws me some curveballs, and I don't know how you're wired, but I'll go ahead and confess how I'm wired. When I'm left to myself to figure out the things that are going on in my life that are bringing me struggles or that are bringing me difficulty or that sometimes are causing me fear, When those just kind of rattle around in my brain, I very rarely ever get to a light and happy place. The more I think about them and dwell on those things and try to process them on my own, it seems like fear begins to well up and overwhelm me. But when I get around other people and I share my burdens as I'm supposed to, and they share their burdens with me, and I begin to see that there's hope and that there's joy and that there's others on this journey, I begin to understand that I have friends that help me with my fears. And some of the ways, I've said this before, some of the ways that people help others with their fears are simply to know that somebody else has walked through this and they look at you and they just go, you'll make it. And that's all the advice they need to give because you know they've walked a hard road and they're standing there and they're looking you in the eye going, you're going to make it. But if you're walking that road alone, we even talked about this last week, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And I kind of threw a little paraphrase in there, living by yourself is dull. Okay, we understand that if we have others to help us along the way, then I don't have to carry these burdens on my own. Proverbs tells us, don't abandon your friend or your father's friend and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. God's brought us here together to do something, to be something for right now. In Ecclesiastes, he says, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. We're supposed to be here for one another, living life together, encouraging one another. And that's the other great thing about this. The more we begin to do life with one another, and it's not everything is is on me to have to do, not only do I have friends, but I begin to find where I fit. And finding my fit is not just finding everything that I'm good at. It's finding other things that I'm not so good at and others are good at. And we begin to realize that God probably brought us together in life to be there for one another. Because they're really gifted and talented with things that I struggle with sometimes. But I'm really gifted and talented with things that they struggle with sometimes. And the more that we begin to do that, the more that we begin to understand how this can work. Again, going back and using Windshape as an example... 
Our church could not pull that off without partners, without help, without other churches, without businesses in the community, without things. And it's amazing to see how God has brought all of us together. And isn't it awesome to hear that because of the partnership and the work and finding the fit this week, we have 31 who accepted Christ this week. We have 111 who don't attend church anywhere that got to hear the gospel. Some of them may even for the first time. That doesn't happen just on our own. We have to get outside of ourselves and and have these kind of partnerships and find our fit. That's why he says united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's not that we're all uniform and we think the same things and we do the same things and we act the same things. It's not it at all because God has brought all of our unique experiences and giftedness and talents all together for the purpose of advancing the gospel and helping one another out. Not so that we all lay them all down and do and act and say the same things. And so this is what he writes, and Peter writes these things. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. I'll read that phrase again. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. As good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. And that so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, when we learn to find joy in being there for others, then it leads to this great thing that begins to happen in our life that brings great joy. And that means that we can celebrate the success of others. You see, when you're living for self, we're constantly asking the question, why did that person get to do that and I didn't? Why did that person get that blessing and I didn't? But when we learn to live in unity and we can celebrate and see what God is doing and we can start to celebrate the success of others, then here's the great thing that happens. I promise you. In your life, you're going to have incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows. It's going to happen. There's nothing that we can do to avoid that. We're going to walk through these valleys of life. But one of the greatest things that's ever happened is when I find my fit in the body of Christ and I'm walking through a dark and difficult time in my life. And sometimes it feels like that I've been left out and all alone and on my own. Then I can start to find joy in seeing what God is doing in others' lives. You do realize, right, that sitting right here today, somebody may be having the best week of their life and somebody may be having the worst week of their life and they may be sitting next to each other today. And God is still at work and he brought you two together for a reason. That's how this works together. We can celebrate the success of others and we can find joy and be encouraged and be reminded that God is still at work. Even though I might be walking through a valley right now, God is still at work and he is still good. And I know that what I'm going through is just temporary and God is going to see me through. And we get that type of encouragement when we are the church to one another. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. What an incredible statement Paul gives us. He goes on to say some other things. In Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
In Corinthians, he says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We are in this together. We find life in celebrating one another together in what God is doing. And so ultimately, we will get to the place where we understand that it's not all about me. And I don't say that in a way to try to put anybody down, but to say it's not all about me. It's about what God is doing, and I get to be a part of it. I'm invited to be his child and to live life with him, and that's where I will find life to its fullest. Not just attending things, but being a part of what God is doing. The bottom line is this. A shared life is the best life. A shared life is the best life. Not for it all on your own but you being part of something that's greater. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?